Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Uh, I'm uh, I'm coming to you from the conference room at JBJS headquarters on 20 Pickering here in Needham, Massachusetts. It's a uh, building where I believe we've been since about 1992, uh, and uh, it's a uh, it's a nice conference room. And uh, thanks to some uh, improvement in the in the pandemic, we're seeing more people back in the office, so it's all a good thing. But it's uh, you know we've had a horrible spring in Minnesota, just, just horrible. I don't know if it's it's any better in Hamilton, but um, well, I, I really, I've got, I mean, it was like snowing here last year. Yeah, night. yeah, yeah, right. that's so, right. I mean, this is terrible. So I've got, I've got my uh, Ortho Joe mug to just keep my hands warm, you know, shivering coming in from the car. So, well, it's been a while since we did a taping. And I, I know that you've had uh, this guidelines thing on your mind for a while. Mm -hmm. Let's mm -hmm. uh, chat about guidelines. Uh, yeah, so. I guess you've got, you want to talk about the. The, the OA of the knee. That's right. That's right. And, you know, uh, just just to um, uh, make you feel somewhat the same as I have, I woke up this morning as well to snow, but that didn't stop me from putting my short sleeve shirt on because it's a balmy one degree Celsius in Canada. And that's shorts and totally short. And, uh, you know, you'll see people lawn mowing today, you know, when they're shorts, shirtless even. Canadians like that. They, they When it gets to zero, that's our summer, so we're pretty excited by the uh, by the change in weather. But I noticed you're, you're not keeping from outside, though. No, 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 no. I'm not not quite yet, but we should do one of those. We should do one of those. I'm, I I think that I think you've just given me an idea. So, you know, I, I know for for many of the listeners, um, a NeoA is a big part of their practice. I know we have got many many surgeons who are managing patients, whether it's operatively and certainly a lot of non-operative treatments as well. And the American Academy came out with an, uh, a guideline in 2013 that had led to some, you know, pretty significant changes in practice and how things were funded. And long awaited, uh, I think it's about eight years, and we can talk a little bit about how quickly, how often guidelines should be, uh, I guess, updated. But after eight years, a lot of work, in August of 2021, Mark, there was the Management of Osteoarthritis of the Knee Non-Arthroplasty uh, Revised Guideline uh, that did come out. And in this particular one, they had updates on 19 of the 29 different recommendations. Now, my plan isn't really to go through all of that, um, but I but I did want to make sure that we did at least highlight some of these for, for one reason only, that even though this has come out last summer and we're approaching 2022 summer, the reality is, you know, knowledge translation often takes lag. So the more we can get the messaging out, I think the better. And I would encourage readers to take a look at the JBGS literature that's looked at some of these, and I'll, I'll highlight some of that. And I'd also like uh, urge them to take a look at the guideline itself. It's freely available and it's got lots and lots of data. It's a very big, big document, you know, several hundred pages. So I think maybe a summary is warranted for us today, and maybe we'll have, be able to attract some discussion around that. Yeah, so, just, just for uh, people who are, who are listening, uh, tell me if I've got this right. The big controversy with the 2013 was the issue of downgrading the strength of evidence in favor of visco supplementation. Do I have that right? So actually what, yeah, so close. The, yes, it was downgrading the evidence uh, against the use of, of, of visco supplementation. And so it was basically saying that that there really is no strong evidence against the use of, of, 
hyaluronic acid, really. And that was led to a fairly significant back and forth. I think we saw a, really quite a bit of fragmenting of the American Academy's, you know, different um, subgroups, you could say, you know, the, I think the Arthroscopy Association of North America was pretty strongly against some of those recommendations. And there have been lots of discussion around that. But you're right. Um, there was that there was also the promise of PRP in that. Right. So right. PRP came out looking better uh, than HA in that. And so there's lots of those sort of discussions. Corticosteroids uh, came out looking very well. And you'll hear some of the changes actually that are quite interesting, uh, at least at a high level, because I do think it has impact on day-to-day on -day practice. Okay. So there aren't that many things in which they said there's strong evidence in favor. And it's the usual stuff. So, you know, uh, oral NSAIDs, topical NSAIDs, and even, you know, limited doses of acetaminophen, all given the big, you know, multi-star strong evidence in favor of use it. Exercise, strong evidence in favor of and patient education, strong evidence in favor of. So nothing really particularly new uh, with respect to those. Moderate evidence favoring braces, moderate evidence uh, favoring patients uh, losing weight. So that's kind of where, you know, I don't think anyone listening would say, okay, well, fair enough, that, that's, that's interesting. Again, strong evidence against the use of uh, insoles. So I don't think that's novel or new to anybody and strong evidence against the use of opioids. And that would make a lot of sense. You know, there are concerns around the addiction and also the complications associated with that. So where do we get to the interesting part? Well, the interesting part always for, I think, uh, practitioners has been, you know, the injectable landscape. So what's happening with corticosteroids? What's happening with PRP, which has been the most popular of the bunch, uh, or at least moving up in that direction? And then also, you know, did they make any shift in the viscose supplementation? And that was it. Um, if you'll allow me, just for sake of brevity, I'm gonna share a, a slide. So basically, this is a paper that was published in uh, JBGS Reviews in 2018, and I encourage again, and, and we'll put that link down for everyone, but what it does is it kind of shows all of the different um, treatments that are available from left to right, and I've highlighted a couple. There's a horizontal red dotted line uh, mark that really is the minimal clinically important difference. So you're looking for things to kind of cross that line as it goes upward because it meant that they had a big enough difference that would likely matter. Uh, and again, we chose a very, very conservative estimate. So there are others who have used, you know, lower lines, but, you know, we, we took the highest possible threshold you'd have. So let's look at PRP, for example. In this particular update of the American Academy, which is 2021, um, they said here the following, and I'll quote them. There, uh, they said, due to heterogeneity of results and the difference in early and late stage OA results with PRP, we downgraded the recommendation from strong in their previous uh, guideline to limited. So they went down two full marks. So if anything, uh, the more literature on PRP, largely small and very, very disparate, has led to actually a downgrading of the quality of evidence. And if you look at the data we had shown in the JBGS reviews, if you look at this, you see this, you know, like the overall effect, I mean, the average effect of that bar is pretty high. So PRP seems to work on average. However, the killer, unfortunately, is the variability. That's that, you know, confidence interval line that shows anything from no effect at all where the controls are better than PRP, which in this case could be a saline or a placebo, all the way up to having big effects. So the challenge I think that PRP faces is we need more data to understand in whom it works and in whom it doesn't. And ultimately, uh, we need more information. American Academy has signaled that loud and clear with a significant downgrading of that evidence. 
The next one yeah, is. Oh, well, I don't want to yeah. interrupt your train of thought here, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah. one of the big issues with PRP is the lack of reporting detail of what the uh, what the manufacturing process is, what yeah. what the handling of the samples are, and how what's in the actual injection that's delivered. And uh, Tom Bauer wrote an excellent editorial for us about really needing standardization of reporting as to how the specimens are prepared, what's actually in them before we can make progress in this field. Well, and I think you're right. And if you look at that, it really, I mean, pretty clearly, this is, remember, and, and the paper from that we're showing is from 2018. Now, I'm sure the JBJS paper had, you know, at least reflects what we're seeing in the uh, 2021 update of the guidelines. I'm not saying they necessarily used all this data, but I'm sure they came up with their own analysis. But the truth is the data is the data. And it confirms that we have much more work to do, though the promise is there, but I think there's a lot more work to do. That, and with the issue with corticosteroids, you know, again, they had moderate evidence and they made the caveat of short-term relief. So it isn't just use corticosteroids, you know, every three months for periods of years. It is, it is meant to provide short-term relief, which is typically, as the American Academy suggested, under the 12-week period. So they said they also downgraded it one level because of potential risk in accelerating osteoarthritis from injections. I believe, Mark, although they didn't articulate it that way, that the paper that came out in JAMA by McAlinden and his group that looked at that, that looked at giving corticosteroids every three months for, for two years, uh, and then showing that the MRI suggested some fibrillations and some changes um, was one of the uh, concerns with long-term use. So I don't think anyone's arguing, if you look at the blue uh, there, that corticosteroids don't have an impact. In fact, the impact is you know reasonable. It's, it's certainly one that has an effect. The challenge is you just don't use it for long-term effect. So that's kind of where uh, the American Academy is set on that. But again, it was a downgrade from the 2013. Right. So the last but not least is the moderate evidence. And again, for HA, so once again, overall, so here's the point. For HA, overall, they have basically shifted it once from, from a strong to moderate. So now they're saying it's not strong evidence that it doesn't work overall. They're saying it's moderate evidence that it doesn't work overall. But here's the caveat. If you look at the two yellow, they group them both together. So they're saying all HA. When you group it together, it doesn't work. The American an academy makes a very specific, and I think it's important to the readers to at least be aware of this for some of those who felt that they wanted to be using, you know, various injectables in their practice. They said here, and I'll quote, the 2013 edition of the guidelines strongly recommended against the use of visco supplementation. In contrast to this updated version, the 2021 version found that statistically significant improvements were associated with high molecular weight and cross-linked hyaluronic acid. The group felt that a specific subset of patients might benefit from its use. So you can see the American Academy, and very similar actually to this paper uh, in JPGS reviews, looked at breaking them up. And when you break them up, you make a very clear distinction that low molecular weight HA doesn't seem to work in the same capacity as the higher molecular weight, which in fact, many ways has um, effects that are looking on average like the PRP with a much narrower confidence interval, so a bit more precision. So the thing with PRP that I think needs to do, hopefully in the next iteration, is to do the same work, is to find out what elements and what processing and, you know, and try to standardize it in a way that it's been done in others. Because the average effect of PRP is problematic, but I don't think there is an average effect that we should be using. We should try to construct through literature and evidence and processing and standardization what works and what doesn't. So I'll stop there just for 
sake of time. Um, but I did think it was an important, um, you know, it was an important update and one that, you know, guidelines often will come, you know, can come through, but these were some fairly important downgrades and some important upgrades that were made. Right. Yeah, well, that brings us back to the issue that you, you and I have really been all about the quality of evidence for our entire careers. And uh, what what is the essential issue with guidelines? Um, I mean, it's really just one point in time. And nearly by the time it's published, there's been more information that's published, right? So it's, 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 it's trying to uh, nail a point in time when the field is continuing to move on a month by month, if not sooner basis, right? Absolutely. How, how are we gonna how are we gonna address this? What's 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 OE's plan to address this? Yeah, that's a great point. I think you know we're starting to see in many places the word living, like living meta-analysis mark, uh, living network meta-analysis, or living guideline, which is what they mean is rather than have a situation where you like make this now fact for the next several years until the group comes back and looks at the data over a five-year period, as new information comes in, the living document is updated. So you're starting to see a much more uh, rapid you know, uptake of information. And that is what we're starting to see with the term living, meaning that it's, it, it, there isn't static. So it's dated by the moment it is, but tomorrow it could change. The hard part of that is resource and, you know, and the ability to have the team to be able to do that. But I do believe ultimately people are gonna want up-to-date information. They're not gonna look at a guideline becomes stale probably within the first 24 months. I mean, that's the best case scenario that it could last, right? I mean, if you look at the American Academy, one might argue that right at 2014, 15, there was papers coming out that were completely changing the narrative. And, you know, it's 221. So, you know, that's a fairly big time gap between, you know, updates. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know the exact number for the number of manuscripts that have been published on PRP uh, clinical studies, but I, I'm sure it's in the hundreds. Uh, oh, I would say it's I'd say it's several hundreds by now. Um, you know, I remember back in 2012, there were a hundred and some odd north of a hundred RCTs. But remember, the sample size averaging from eight patients to 200 right. patients. I mean, not you know, and also they were just exploring. I mean, every indication, so many different indications being being done. And the hardest thing right, that I've learned is it is it is really, it's, it's, it's so hard that once it's very easy to destroy a brand quickly, whatever you're doing, whatever you're like, you know, cause you get excited by it, but once it's gone down to rebuild it is a very hard journey. And you've got to, and, and, and the only way you rebuild it is by building it uh, with trust and trust comes from high quality data. Yeah. Yeah. In general, I think it, uh, that that whole concept applies to large organizations too. What I've said, and I'm not sure where I heard it, but seven years to build up a brand, it takes less than one to tear it down. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it's true in this field as well. Yeah, you, you made the point exactly. I mean, the American Academy's guidelines are very powerful, you know, and uh, in, one, in one statement, it, it took several years to rebuild some of these. Now, you can argue that, that that it was needed and we needed to have a bit of a shakeup because, you know, I think you need to have that, but you're right. You need good quality evidence and you also need good quality synthesis of evidence because if an information is there, Mark, you know, it's our jobs in many ways, all of us to be thinking, okay, what's the noise and let's, I mean, what's the noise, get rid of it and keep the signal. Yeah. Well, we'll keep working towards that living document future, uh, which is, I think, where the field needs to go. So, well, I, I hope that the spring lasts longer than a week in Hamilton. Uh, that's what we're training for in Minnesota. 
I did see some uh, blossoms on the trees here in Massachusetts, so we're hopeful. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Have excellent. a great day and uh, All right. Cheers. Take care. Bye.